Hello and welcome to the AA Ireland podcast, season three, episode six. I am Blake Bowen and as ever, I'm joined by Paddy Common. Now, today we are doing a special on car use and a move to alternative ways of transport. Now, the last week we made a suggestion. Uh, we put out a press release calling for a free trial of public transport for a limited time only, yes. suggesting something like one week perhaps. And it got misinterpreted wildly. Uh, people ran away with it in the media and we got accused in some quarters of being very disingenuous uh, just to put it politely in some some ways with this suggestion so that we thought we'd just delve into it a little bit more then this week. So Paddy who are we chatting to on the podcast this week? Well we've a variety of people. Firstly we are talking to Daniel Murray who's a journalist in the Business Post. Daniel's been writing for years on transport but latterly he's been really really getting stuck into this topic and uh, so we thought he would be a great person to firstly talk us through and set the scene and round up some of the reporting that he's he's been doing recently so let's listen to that now this week as we said we are talking all things public transport and in order to start off the discussion and give a rounded view of where we are we thought it best to bring in what we think, Blake, is uh, probably the best guy in, in Ireland currently writing about public transport, Daniel Murray from the Business Post. Thank you, Daniel, very much for coming in. You've been writing really extensively on both the proposals for you know further charges coming down the line to get people out of cars and the incentives for public transport that are coming up in the future. Can you give us, I suppose, a potted view of where we are currently this You've written a lot recently. There were proposals coming up. The AA proposed a free trial of public transport, which got mixed views. Where are things right now, in your view? Okay, yes. So, look, thanks for having me in, first of all. It's it's great to be here. And, look, this all has to do with the Green Party's term in government and delivering on on climate action. And it set out, what, two and a half years ago, 2020, um, to pursue climate action across a range of sectors. Now, it was only last year that they delivered what were called sectoral emissions targets. And that meant a breakdown of how much we have to reduce emissions by in each and every sector. And transport is obviously one of those sectors. And it gave transport a target of reducing emissions by 50% by 2030 on 2020. 2018 levels are already a couple of years into that. So that that's what this is all about, is, is reducing emissions. Um, transport, it kind of got one of the middling targets. Electricity was much higher, agriculture was much lower, but it's widely seen by people as the most difficult of, of all the targets, like reducing emissions by 50% effectively in eight, you know, eight more years until 2030 is extremely difficult. Um, so to do this, there were already a couple of proposals in the mix. It was electrification of the car fleet, as we've heard about. There was stuff about in increasing the amount of biofuels mixed into petrol and diesel. But the biggie is behavioural change. How do you get people to basically stop using their cars or to use them less? Um, And there's a range of things that the government have started looking at to do that. Again, some of which we've heard about, big public transport infrastructure projects, some of which are a long way off, some of which are are, are hopefully just around the corner at the building of you know, active transport networks like cycling and, and walking. Um, and then the more controversial elements, which is trying to get people out of cars through disincentives. So as we reported uh, last week, uh, Eamon Ryan was meant to bring a memo to Cabinet that would start a process of developing the strategy. The strategy wouldn't be done for, for a year, but even that was enough to cause quite wide controversy and large political backlash. And that would be looking at some of these very contentious things like congestion 
congestion charges like removing parking spaces around the city centre and from workplaces like increasing parking fees all of these things that, that people find you know a lot of people find quite unpalatable the, the idea of and certainly a lot of politicians and felt they had to react to last week so that's where we're at we're on the cusp of developing uh, this what's called a demand management strategy and I personally think it's going to be the most controversial the most ambitious uh, and the most difficult element of what the Green Party tried to achieve while it's in government It's funny if you talk to different factions you talk to you know, if people call us a, a lobby group, you know whether that's true or not. It, and you talk to to other interested parties. Generally, the thinking is quite similar. We all know public transport isn't where it's at. It shouldn't isn't where it should be, rather. And we know that we can't just indefinitely keep using our cars, uh, any you know willy nilly. Where is the centre ground in this? Do you think? Because politically, we know that it's a hot potato. Where is the middle ground in your view? And is, you know, Eamon Ryan, is, are the Greens potentially shooting themselves in the foot from a, a voting, voting point of view in the future? They could be, definitely. And I've heard the Greens described as kamikaze politicians before, meaning that they're kind of on a kamikaze mission for, for this term in government, that they may only get one term, uh, and therefore they're trying to get everything they can done while they're in there. Now, that, that remains to be seen at, at the next election. But I guess in terms of what, where's the middle ground or where's the centre ground on this, the difficult thing about this maybe in comparison to other policy areas is that we have have targets that have been set in terms of our climate emissions reductions. And those targets have flown from the science, you know, at the highest level, at a global level, needing to keep, you know, global warming under 1.5 to, to 2 degrees, flowing down to Ireland in terms of what we need to do over the next 10 years and over the next 30 years to do that, and then into those individual sectoral uh, emissions targets. Um, and to, so to do that, this is what makes it difficult, is that is there a middle ground between achieving those targets and not achieving them. I mean, the high likelihood, I honestly think, is that when we get to 2030, we won't have achieved many of these targets. And that's the likely centre or middle ground that we arrive at. But it is not politically palatable, and lots of people would say not scientifically palatable, to admit that or to stop striving to try and achieve it. And so in the transport sector, that does mean trying to induce massive behavioural change. I think that National Transport Authority modelling that was done uh, alongside the last Climate Action Plan showed that even if you electrified, I think all new cars electrified by 2030, so effectively a million electric cars on the road, even if you increase biofuel blends in in diesel and and petrol, you only get 34% emission Reductions. So you have another 16% there that you have to get, and that has to come from modal shift, behavioural change. So um, I don't think that the, the Green Party are going to take the foot off the gas on this, um, but I think it's going to become hugely politically contentious, and even more so because, like, interestingly, I spoke to the Deputy Mayor of Paris about what they've done in Paris. There's been huge modal shift there and reallocation of road space. And I said, what lessons do you have for Ireland? And he said to me... Uh, move quickly in the first half of your political term because there's a political economy to these things as well and I I think we're now moving in you know we are moving into the second half uh, of this government's term I think this is going to become extremely politically difficult to deliver as we move into local and European elections next year and this could become a 
a single issue for people. And as we move into general election, uh, possibly 2024 as well, but at least early 2025. Um, so, so yes, I, I think it is very difficult for, for, for the Green Party, um, but I don't think they can uh, take the foot off the gas on it at all. Uh, you know, and potentially, nor should they. But, you know, something we suggested last week was... Why don't we have a trial? Why don't we give this a go now? Some We've had backlash in some areas. But it, t- it goes back to that point about behavioural change. How can we, as a nation, slag off public transport or say it's great if we haven't actually tried it in the first place to see if it works? Yeah, no, look, I, and I think the proposal was a very interesting one that you put out last week. Yes, since then, um, people have pointed to the study by the National Transport Authority or Ernst & Young, commissioned by the National Transport Authority, saying that free public transport only results in a reduction in walking or you know cycling trips as opposed to a large reduction but, in, in car use but crucially we hadn't asked for free public transport yeah we had asked for a free trial, a trial. it was a sample yeah. let's let's have two weeks or a week you know so we we don't think it's it's feasible to have free public transport it's very expensive and and we you know we've seen those reports so why do you think there would even be a hesitancy uh, you know, we haven't certainly had any response to this uh, in terms of giving it a go. Is it because, as has been pointed to us and has been a, you know, pointed in our direction, that it will highlight how bad it is in some areas? Or is there, are there other hesitancies towards that? I mean, it's kind of the irony of this. There seems to be concern that if you did make it free, even for a you know short period of time, that you would drive up the you know the the user rate and therefore capacity would would be exposed, and that definitely is a concern for people. But there are benefits to doing these kind, kinds of trials. In fact, I was present in Bonn in Germany years ago when they did exactly this. Um, I was there for. COP25, I think it was, which is one of the climate conferences. It was being held in Bonn. And for the two weeks that I was there, they made public transport free for everybody, partially just because so many people had descended on the city, but two as, you know, kind of a climate promotion um, uh, objective. And they had lots of interesting types of electric buses and hydrogen buses driving around as well. And I always found it an interesting experience because... Uh, you know, people are stuck in their travel habits and it's very hard to change your own daily routine tra- travel habit back at home. But I moved to Bonn for two weeks. Uh, day one, I uh, tried out a completely new travel pattern. I went and walked uh, 10 minutes. I got on a tram. I traveled 20 minutes. I got off the tram. I used a share bike uh, to get to the climate conference. And within three days, that that, that was travel habit, it, it felt as natural to me as, as anything else. The likelihood that I would have you know, gone through such a dramatic um, travel pattern shift back at home just for the sake of it, um, you know, wasn't very likely. So uh, these things are worthwhile. I think they're worth doing. They show people the benefits. They maybe force people to try try out new, new travel patterns. Um, so definitely something worth considering. But uh, you know, there are concerns about the current capacity of, of public transport, which in the short term is really only going to be improved by things like bus connects. You know, if if even that is the short term, we'll see how things go in the next three, four, five years. And then in the longer term, big infrastructural projects, you know, around Dublin, extension of the DART, possibly the metro and, and there's other projects in, the, in other cities as well. So capacity has to I- increase. And I think most politicians would admit that has to come first before any of the any of the stick measures otherwise you lose the room and and politically it, it just won't happen but again are they losing the room to a degree and by you know f- highlighting that these things might come down the line as as was reported by you uh, and rolling back on that or and, and holding back from that does that 
give the wrong message as well. Yeah, I mean, I think they have to move forward um, with these plans now, a demand management strategy. What ends up on the table at the end of it, we don't know. I mean, Eamon Ryan himself has actually expressed opposition to congestion charges before, you know, but this is part, it's just one part of the modelling that the NTA has has put together. So at the end of the year, you could, you could end up with a demand management strategy that has very little stick in place. In fact, if I was to guess or to, to bet, I would think that removal of parking spaces is going to be the primary lever that they actually go for in in government and starting with in particular public sector workplaces to do that so um so it, it I don't think they have a choice but to try and push ahead with this and and try and get a, at least a strategy in place before the the end of their term. In terms of whether they've kind of reversed on it in the last week, look, they pulled the memo for cabinet because there was such a large public and political reaction to it. They didn't pull the memo for, from cabinet altogether. It's going back in the next two weeks, and I understand it'll pass easily because it isn't a memo that is actually considering all of these controversial things. It is a memo to say let's start considering them and put a strategy together by the end of the year and even when that strategy is done the policy options that will be picked from it won't be decided until they're decided so um, in some ways we're just in the foothills of making a plan about a plan. The Greens are doing an awful lot to bring in new measures in terms of public transport do you think that message is being lost a little bit with all the talk of potential new taxes and congestion charges, etc. Do you think that message is being lost? Well, it's, it's always the problem with media in general. And, you know, uh, we would be one of the culprits on this front. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. Um, so you never see front page splashes on papers saying amazing new, uh, you know, public transport corridor to open in the next 10 years. Um, but you do see lots of, uh, you know, it's going to cost however billion and uh, and or they're, they're looking at putting new taxes on you. So that's a, that's a difficulty. But, you know, it's part of the, the burden of governance, governance and it's part of the, the burden of having the power that they have to implement these things over the next number of years. And it's also um, it's also a good way of being able to um, put these things to the test in the public mind and, and really make sure that the policies that are finally decided on are, are, are properly kind of proofed. Um, but yes, uh, you know, th- there's a huge amount of work going on um, I do hear a narrative a lot about like, you know, the Green parties are in government and they've done nothing and that's just not the case. I mean, what what's happening, the level of what's happening is, is extraordinary. Um, and the question really is about speed, not about volume of what's actually happening. People often ask me, you know, do I do I feel kind of downtrodden covering climate issues? And do I think targets will, will be reached? And I always say it, the level of change I'm seeing out there in Ireland, but at a global level as well, if we had 100 years um, I would be saying we're fine. There's there's that level of change happening now. There's huge there's transformation of energy systems, transport systems, um, agricultural systems underway. Can we get it done in between ten and and thirty years? That's the real difficult part of it, and that then is true of of Ireland as well, and and what's happening politically. The wheels have begun to turn, um, and you could make an argument that they only really began to turn when the Green Party got into government in in twenty twenty. A lot of it you won't see for another three, four, five, six years. But there's an extraordinary level of change coming down the tracks. Um, uh, and that's not just in transport, it's in, in other areas too. From someone who used to work in the car industry, I f- certainly see some targets that are talked about and it looks like they never actually spoke to the car industry. Like if you look at the current Climate Action Plan, it says that what, one in three uh, cars will be electric vehicles by 2030. There's literally no possible way that could happen because 
that would involve 113,000 electric vehicles sold per year right now. And on, on a good year, we might sell that many cars in total. Is there still a little bit of a disconnect sometimes between the policy makers and the actual people who would deliver the targets? There is, and um, the policy makers would sometimes explain that away by saying, well, we need to be the ones whipping these guys into order and giving them kind of, you know, no option. But then there's reality as well. You know, you, you, you have to have a realistic goals. And like the one million electric cars one is one that everybody in industry, the minute it was announced, said, you know, it's it's not possible. It's it's not achievable. Um, interestingly, in the last couple of weeks, the government had committed in the program for government to legislate for a ban on fossil fuel car sales by 2030. They've dropped that now and are sticking with the wider European target of of 2035. And many in the industry across Europe would even see 2035 as very, very difficult um, target to reach. So... But there is, there's a disconnect, but there's also an element of the government have to kind of shoot for the targets here. And this comes back to the kind of trying to find a middle ground or a centre ground. There's, there's very little negotiating room on the targets. They exist. Um, there was a stage where we could have said agriculture can do more, transport can do less. There's definitely an argument that that should have been the case, considering how low agriculture's target aren't, it, it was and how high transport's target um, has been set. Um, but the government just really has to start from the basis of the science and at least make the efforts to try and reach those targets. Daniel, I'm noticing that this this argument, it's always on one hand, can we afford it or can we not afford it? On the other hand, it's we just need to reduce carbon emissions. But for me, there's, there's a much wider picture here as well. We're talking about, you know, the, the mental health of an elderly person who wants to, to go down and do their bit of shopping. It's uh, the parent being able to put two children in a cargo bike and get them to crash, you know, three kilometres away as opposed to driving. So there's, there's a much bigger picture here. Is that fair to say? Are you seeing in the background the people that you're talking to consideration of that bigger picture is it just simply cost carbon emissions no uh, there is definitely consideration of that bigger picture and on the one hand say like you said you know you say there about the pensioner needing to get around and, and therefore needing to you know to be able to use their car especially in in rural ireland i think that's something that's considered in the, in the modeling so while in the big urban centers or dublin in particular they want car, car ownership to drop by about 15 percent in the next 10 years in rural ireland they're only looking for a drop of car ownership of about one percent there's also the beginning of consideration now of starting to target the uh, grants that go to electric vehicles towards rural Ireland because there's an understanding that really the services are and will get better in Dublin in terms of public and active transport. Um, but in rural Ireland, you know, even with all of the work that's going to happen in the next 10 years, people are going to stay reliant on their cars. So can you electrify cars in, in rural Ireland more? And then on the flip side, I think there's an understanding that selling this to the public is about more than just emissions and climate change. It's about improved air quality. It's about aesthetically more pleasing uh, cities and urban centres. It's about, um, you know, active transport and your kids being able to cycle to school and the health and benefits of that. So they want to sell um, that side of it as well. I don't think they have really begun that yet, but I do know that it's a big part of this push to try and get cars out of cities in particular will be a a big communications campaign to try and sell the various benefits of it and of course the last one being congestion uh, which you guys know only too well about uh, in in here Um, and that being another one as well that if you can you know 
reduce cars in big cities and then you don't you don't have people sitting in traffic for the length of time that people end up sitting in traffic for. So there's pros and cons and, and, and those things are considered on both sides, I think. But that goes back to the question, Blake, as well. Do Is it wise to just shift away into electric vehicles by you know switching us out of one ICE car problem into another one? Because that won't help congestion. Sure enough, there won't be anything coming out of the tailpipe. But surely all everyone going right to EVs isn't exactly the solution either. You're absolutely right. Like electric vehicles are not good for the environment. They're they're bad for the environment. They're just much less bad than the combustion ones. Um, and you still, you know, if you shift someone from a two and a half ton diesel SUV into a two and a half ton electric vehicle, you've still got many of the same problems. So it is. It's much wider than that, of course. What's your view on, on that, Daniel? Yeah, I think that that is the case. And again, Brian Caulfield, who's one of the leading sustainable mobility experts in the country, has long, long been making this case. Just electrification of the fleet won't do it. We have, even if climate wasn't a problem, there's, with demographic changes coming down the line, there's huge congestion issues. And then on the environmental side, in terms of the raw materials needed for this electric car revolution, it's it's actually quite scary in terms of what's going to be needed in terms of mining and uh, and otherwise. So so they're not a perfect, um, they're not a perfect perfect solution they will address emissions they will address pollution in cities if more cars are electrified but but ultimately behavioral change and a shift towards public transport for people who commute into cities and you know public or active transport for people who live within kind of city boundaries is the way things need to go so finally daniel we were coming out i suppose albeit naively perhaps and and asking is there a way to get people to just try public transport do you think there's a better way to get people just to even give it a go I think, so again, I thought it was a good proposal to at least look at a, a trial of free public transport and you could do it around a festival or something like that, you know, over, I mean, Paddy's Week actually is almost the perfect week to try to try something but like I, that. But I'd almost come back to you on that one and say, is it though? Because we have seen times where it's reduced on holidays and stuff like that. Is it not better to try it at the absolute worst time? I mean, it quite possibly as well. It depends on what the purpose of of, of the trial is, but it, it, that, that is a good idea. Or trying it at weekends. There was a while where they were looking at kind of car-free Sundays and stuff in, in, in parts of Dublin. So it's something you could try at weekends. But actually, I think an interesting thing you could do um, as a uh, as an initiative is try and get employers involved. So a huge amount of trips into cities are for work um, purposes. And while making public transport free, um, we've heard the arguments against it in terms of the overall cost in the long term and the possibility that people be incentivized to just, you know, be jumping on buses for the sake of it. I'd, I'd like to see the research. I'd like to see the research behind that. Um, Given but the it, buses are already running on that route. Well, exactly. But if you had... Uh, the government's already planning on taking transport fares down more. They're going to reduce them. They haven't announced this, but I'm almost certain they'll reduce them by 50% probably by the end of this wow. t- term in government. So 50% below what they were before they started Still reducing them as part of the cost of living um, crisis. Uh, and then on top of that, if you get employers to start um, subsidizing or creating kind of public transport uh, benefits packages for employees, they could subsidize, they could either pay for the rest or subsidize a large volume of the rest of of transport to to, to a certain level. That way, you're leveraging that pri- you know private capital. I think a lot of businesses would be on board for it because you know lots of businesses are looking to prove their green credentials now and get involved in these kind of schemes, especially the, the big businesses. It isn't a huge cost for them per employee if they were to subsidize, um, and that would 
make me think, you know, oh, well, maybe I will use the bus because mm. it's paid for. And that's part of the package of working for this company um, that, that I can do that. So that is possibly a, another route towards a very similar uh, a k- kind of a goal is to try and get more people to consider public transport for their primary trips. The last thing I'd say as well is I think work is an important one because a lot of the time for recreational reasons, unless it's for shopping or otherwise, people do leave cars behind. Mm. Why? Because we consume a lot of alcohol <laughs> in this country. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's one way of certainly driving behavioural change. So I, I think the workplace and the role of employers is is something that should be looked at. Um, there's another issue that I'd, I'd like to address, and it's one that we don't speak about a huge amount. And it's when it, with any major transition, not just in transport, uh, there's a sense that it has to be just as well. It has to be fair. It can't you know punish certain people. So when we're talking about some of these measures that are potentially coming in, be it congestion charges, uh, increased tolls, fuel duties, and so on. Is there a risk here that we're going to punish people that can't really afford it? Because we are struggling. A lot of people are struggling financially at the moment. That's always the risk with a lot of the, the stick approach to climate action. It's the risk with carbon taxes that have been committed to increase over the next 10 years. Uh, and it's it's been a risk across, across a range of other areas as well, like as we move away from fossil fuel industries, the closure down of peat stations and, and, and peat harvesting in the, in the Midlands. There are people who potentially lose out on this. And as we see going through the cost of living crisis that people have been going through over the last year and a bit it's a very serious issue for people and there is a danger that you move first with just all stick congestion charges increasing parking fees and that not only do you harm the people who can you know least afford it or drive people out out of cities who are the poorest or or you know most most vulnerable but that politically you lose the room as well Um, and that's the battle for I think the Green Party and government over the next two years is how to move towards some of these measures some of which will be needed um, but to do it in a manner that doesn't lose their coalition partners first of all and lose the the public um, more generally and doesn't end up as you say punishing people who who can least afford uh, who can least afford it Daniel Murray from the Business Post thanks for your time Absolutely fascinating to get Daniel's take there. And I'm really delighted that he came in because he just sets the scene so well. This is somebody who's got an exceptional level of knowledge and and understanding and taking analytical mind. Access, yeah, he's got the ability to do research just to get those that high level perspective. And he's not uh, a councillor for any particular political party. He doesn't own, uh, you know, a road building company, for example, yeah. you know, so just to get somebody who is about as neutral as we can get to come in and give us that high level stuff. And I, I thought that it was uh, it was very, very interesting. What did you make of it? Ah, uh, yeah, look, I mean, I've been reading Daniel's stuff for quite a while and it's it's excellent. And the uh, you know analysis he gets into is really, really interesting, especially on, on that topic. So we moved on from that one and I had read an interview just on Saturday gone by in the, the Cork Echo by John Dolan as a journalist down there. And he had been writing about the fact that, look, where he is and for the people who read his stuff and that's just not great public transport. So I thought it'd be interesting to get John on to give his take on some of the things that are being talked about up in our part of the country. So uh, let's listen to that now. So I was reading an article that you wrote uh, over the weekend on Saturday, actually, just it was said, give us proper alternatives to the car before you punish us again, Mr. Ryan. Now, we had been out during the week and you didn't you actually mentioned the AA in the piece where we had said look let's give public transport a go let's all do a mass trial a big 
societal experiment to see whether we can manage it, whether and, and you know what we learn from it. Your experience down in Cork, and you do touch on it in the piece. Uh, what's this, firstly, what's the state of play as you see it uh, of public transport in your area? Well, you see, I'll, I'll tell you, Paddy, I live 20 miles west of the city, so I'm close to McCroom is our nearest town. And it's pretty much non-existent, I have to say. And this is the issue I have with Eamon Ryan's proposals, you know. Um, I just think that, you know, we've had enough of the stick. They can't keep increasing taxes on us. They can't keep saying we're going to reduce car parking spaces and make them more expensive and bring in these taxes to enter cities and these things. Because there's no alternative. There literally isn't. Um, I, I said in my article, you know, in, in McCroom is my nearest town and we just had a bypass open, which is brilliant news. But, the, you know, I, was in, I happened to go into McCroom the other Friday and there was literally not a car parking space around um, because everybody has to drive. Um, and my, my argument wasn't to say we need more parking spaces. My argument was, what's the alternative? Do any of these people, could they get into McCroom from wherever they're living if they didn't have the car? Because, you know, the bus services around are so kind of patchy and, and you know, infrequent. Um, and literally, you, you've, you know, if, if you're elderly, especially, or you're disabled in some way, then, you, you know, it, it's almost impossible to get around without the motor car. And th- this was my big argument, you know, that they have to do more to try and get wieners off the car if that's the drug that they've given us for years to state. They can't just turn around and start, you know, hitting us with these big charges without offering any alternative at all. I literally don't have an, a, another option, Paddy. I really don't. I mean, obviously, in Ireland, we are taxed fairly heavily as motorists in terms mm. of the the tax we have when we buy it in the first place, vehicle registration tax, VAT, the tax on the fuel, annual uh, motor taxes is expensive to compare to other countries. Would you feel that people in rural areas in particular are going, look, we are already paying through the nose. Why are you coming back at us again when we, we can't have an option? As you point, point out rightly, for, say, if I ask you, for example, is there a, if you live in McCroom and you worked in Cork city centre, for example, and I don't know whether that's a feasible mm. commute, but yeah. would, it, it, would it be easy to do that by it's public transport? Sorry. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'd say lots of people do it. It's, you know, it, you could do it in maybe 40 minutes on a good day into the city. And then obviously you have the issues of where to park and how much to pay and things. But, but by public yeah, transport, it, John, sorry. Yeah, yeah, there is a bus service that goes there. It's 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 okay. From if you're going to McCroom, it's okay. Because if you're living within McCroom town, you could probably do it. But it's you know it's not ideal. It, mm. It's not that regular. Um, but certainly, I'm five miles away from McCroom now. You know, we have a bus that we we, we live on a quite a busy R road, um, and you know there is a bus service, but it's so infrequent. Um, that you just, you know, you couldn't do it. I mean, many times over the years, I've l- tried to look at options of, of using public transport, which, which would have to be a bus where we're mm-hmm. living. And it's just not feasible. It simply isn't. It would take literally three or four hours, you know, and I'd be driving to places and, and having to wait. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's impossible. Um, they have to offer us the, the carrots before the sticks. And, 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 you know, people are really sick of it because they just think that Eamon Ryan doesn't get it. You know, he doesn't seem to understand that, you know, we're not doing this out of choice. We're doing it out of necessity. Do you feel that, uh, you know, for, for people living in your area, that, say, the Green Party are shooting themselves in, a little bit in the foot about being, you know, potentially re-elected in the future because of some of these measures? I, I do. I really do, Paddy. And look, you know, I mean, we all know about the climate crisis. You know, none of us, I, I, I'm not a big, you know, petrol head, particularly. Mm. Um, but, you know, yeah, I really do. You know, a couple of years ago, Eamon Ryan suggested a, a car sharing scheme for people who live in the villages and the towns. And everybody in my locality in the village where I live laughed. They just, they just laughed because they said it's so impractical. It's so 
not possible to do, you know, because we all work in different places at different times. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's, if, if it was something that people were open to, yeah. But, but suggestions like that just, just make people think he's not living in the real world when it comes to outside that bubble of met- metropolitan Dublin, you know. And, and again, you know, that's an interesting point you touch on, John. Do you really think there is a massive divide both in terms of, of infrastructure and perception when it comes to Dublin, say, for example, and the rest of the country? Oh, yeah. Well, look, you're talking to somebody who's lived in Cork for 20 years, so I'm well aware, I'm well aware of the chip on both our shoulders <laughs> when it comes to, you know, the divvying up of, of the goods. But, I mean, yeah, you can, you can look at Dublin and say it has, it has the Dart and the Lewis, and it obviously has a great network of buses. And, and, and to be fair, Cork City and other cities and large towns would have a reasonable bus service as well. Mm. Um, and their issue tends to be the frequency and the, and the public safety when they're on those buses or maybe the odd train. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it, it's an infrastructure issue. That, and, and like I said in my article, you know, I'm quite cynical about politicians promising things. Um, I want to see them happen. You know, they, they, promise, they've been promising us uh, a Lewis-style, uh, you know, tram-style system in Cork City for many years. And we're all very excited about it. Um, and it will only affect, obviously, people in the city, but it will be great. But will it happen? You know, will it happen? And that's the problem that we have. I mean, I, again, I, mentioned, I remember 15 years ago, um, this dream of having a, a, a network of railways connected up towards Blarney, which is 15 minutes or so drive from where mm-hmm. I live. And I remember being quite excited and going, wow, I could, I could drive there or even get a lift to the station if I could or, or, or you know, get, get on a bus or even cycle on a good day and then use the train to go into my job where I work in Cork City uh, and then come back and, and do the opposite coming home. That's never happened, you know. And so, so any time that they hand, they hand us these carrots, it's a case of, well, you know, look, we'll see when we believe it. Um, because, yeah, you, you're right, the, the perception, and I think it's a reality, Dublin does have a very good public network, of trans, a public transport network, um, for sure. And I'm sure they want more, but, but, you know, we don't have any option whatsoever. Something, uh, that the, something that the AA called upon was a free trial. Now, it was taken, I suppose, taken negatively by some... Uh, mm. Some factions and some some uh, commentators. For us, the idea was: look, let's all give it a go and see. Because mm. in Dublin, there's plenty of people who can use it who aren't using it. Now, it's a different story if you're in McCroom, but there's probably people in Cork who could use it and who don't use it as much. Do you think there's uh, there? Do you think there is a point where the stick is introduced? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, look, in terms of, you know, free public transport, that would be a great way of getting, I mean, within a cost of living crisis, fuel is so high. Of course, you know, if, if, if suddenly they said you're going to get a free bus in, people would really look at that option and they wouldn't mind the, losing the odd hour or two a day, even if, if they were saving a lot of money. Um, I mean, personally, myself, I don't mind paying a bit of, you know, I don't mind it. If, if it was subsidised, great. I don't mind paying something towards it, mm-hmm. um, you know, in recognition of the fact that, you know, there's people who, obviously, there's bus drivers and people employed doing this and, you know, we can't ask the state for everything all the time. So I don't mind paying something towards it. But, y- y- yeah, it's, it's going back to the thing you mentioned again. You know, it, it's, it, it's just, all we hear, you know, all I'm reading in those proposals is, oh, we're going to, airy kind of promises and pledges about, oh, we're going to try and do this and that and the other in relation to getting people moving on public transport. But all I'm reading is between the lines and the sticks. And, you know, oh, we're going we're to raise, you know, petrol and, and diesel prices and, 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 and tax them even more. And we're going to reduce the number of parking spaces and, 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 and charge people more and the congestion charges and all these things. Um, and I'm thinking, well, they're going to happen, but the other things, I'm not so sure. Yeah, so that's my attitude to it, really. John, have you any experience of living in other cities and how public transport works in those other cities? 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm 20 years in Cork, but I, I was still, you know, I did quite a lot of um, work in life in England. Now, I'm from the northwest of England originally, and they have a very good, you know, you know I'm from Warrington, so, you know, you, you could go to Liverpool and Manchester, you wouldn't think of the car, you just get the train. Um, and I used to work in my hometown, and I always got the bus then, even though I, I had a car in those days. And I also spent two years in London, um, and obviously London is just a, a wonderful place, but it's, but it's London underground, and, you know, you barely need a car at all if you're in London. It's, it's so... It's such a no-brainer to use the tube, and even the bus services are so regular and reliable as well. So, yeah, I, I, I'm completely familiar with a very good public transport system, and, and as, as I've proved to myself, I'm not wedded to my car completely. Um, but, you know, in, in the instance where I am now, and where lots of people are, even in fairly built-up areas, you know, around Cork, and I'm sure in other places around Ireland, it's, it's just not an option. You know, they have to offer us these alternatives before they get the stick out again and again and again. It's funny because congestion charges have been mentioned for Ireland mm. and this is something that was introduced successfully uh, in, in London. Would mm. the congestion charges only have worked in London if the public transport network was already pretty well advanced? Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they're at the stage when basically, you know, the, the authorities are able to say to people who still drive in all everywhere, look, they're, they're saying to them, look, we have offered you our op- options and alternatives. You're still using the car. We don't want you to use the car because of environmental reasons. And we are now going to start using the stick. But that's the right way to do it to me. You know, it's, it, it, that makes logical sense. Because, but you know, it is logical. Climate yeah. crisis. <laughs> it is logical. You know. So, yeah, absolutely logical. But to actually tell those people, we're going to introduce a congestion charge. Oh, and by the way, we might build a London, London Underground sometime in the next 20 years, and we might bring in a bus service for you at some stage. You know, that's just going to bring Lord Mayors and, and, and politicians down, isn't it? You know, um, Because it's just, there's just no logic to it. And pe- people, just, people are living lives and they're, they're doing the best they can. Um, but, you know, we just, it just, it's just, you have to offer the alternatives, as we keep saying. You, know. you, ha- you have to give people options, because otherwise... This is going to be a huge vote loser for the Greens, you know. I, I like him and Ryan myself. He gets an awful lot of stick on social media, I know. Um, people in rural areas especially tend to pour scorn on him. I do like him because he, he's a principled man. Uh, you know, he, he, he does have lots of ideas. But, you know, he, he, has to, he has to see the reality of someone has to, some member of the Green Party has to say to him, look, Eamon, you know, I, I'm from down in, in Cork County or from Longford or wherever it might be in, in the country, and say to him, look, you know, you're getting this wrong. You know, you're getting this wrong each time. John Dolan from The Echo, thank you very much. So what do you make of that, Blake? Do you know, I'm glad you got him on to get that perspective because and we're, we're guilty as well now mm. I, was, I was born and grew up in Dublin I don't live in Dublin anymore um, I technically live in, in Louth you know but uh, still very much connected with Dublin you know a 35 minute drive away and 20 minutes to Swords or something like that but it's very easy to forget about rural Ireland in this conversation I'm glad we didn't do that I'm glad we brought John on to get his perspective as there really is a difference and what's interesting as well is that they they are reading what's going on in Dublin and are going, why are you adding more potentially taxes, you know, things on fuel, congestion charges when we are looking at a hopeless situation down here? So it was good to get that perspective. Now, we will be back after the break. We have split this podcast in two because what we have coming up is quite interesting, Blake. Tell us. 
Yeah, well, when we put out that press release, we said that we got some criticism from some quarters. And one of those was from the Dublin Commuter Coalition. And we reached out to them and we said, well, look, let, let's talk. Let's keep an open dialogue here and, and, and see what comes of it. So in the end, they, they agreed to come in and, and be on the podcast. And we have a fantastic uh, talk with Lauren Chute uh, as part of the Green Party, as well as the Dublin Commuter Coalition as well as well as Felgen Jose, part of the group, uh, some really, really interesting perspectives on how we might make this shift to other forms of transport. But let me not give anything away. Let's get the kettle on. Let's get a cup of tea, take a break for a moment, and we'll bring that interview to you straight after. In the event that your car requires mechanical assistance, the AA offers our customers the ability to log a breakdown in our app. Log a rescue in the app within minutes and have an AA patrol at the scene to assist you in approximately 90 minutes. Browse the AA app today to obtain great discounts from our partners, which includes perks like discounted fuel at selected Circle K garages across the country. We're joined in studio by the Dublin Commuters Coalition, who is Lauren Chute and Felgen Jose. Guys, thank you. For, thanks you for coming in. Thanks for having, thanks for having us. us. And obviously you're not only. Yeah, there's a lot of us. Are, there's a, a lot of us. But look, uh, look, first things first, tell us how the group came about and what's, what are the aims? So we were founded in 2018, around the same time as when Metrolink and Bus Connects first came out, and there was a lot of opposition to the plans. There was a lot of misinformation, uh, and we kind of realised that there was no group lobbying for public transport in Dublin, at least, um, for better public transport, um, because there weren't really many public transport projects for a couple of years, and whatever groups were there kind of died out. So a lot of us just kind of got together on Facebook and then Twitter and then in person and we just kind of said, look, there's a void here for a pro-public transport, but also walking and cycling sustainable transport group to represent the interests of uh, people who want better public transport, want better walking and cycling infrastructure, who currently use it. Um, and yeah, we immediately just filled that void, um, media outlets started coming to us and we started setting up a membership structure and um yeah just engaging with politicians and local authorities and state agencies at every level to uh further that goal so the membership has been steadily growing then over the, the last few years so we right now have 250 paid members and then just like followers and people who you know, wish as well, but don't <laughs> uh, contribute to it. But I suppose, yeah, like we're just, yeah, it's a different. So, so look, dealing with you know perceptions at the start, you know, would it be incorrect to say that you guys hate cars, for example? We have strong opinions on cars in city centres, in urban areas, and the need to move away from a car dominant. Um, uh, but you life. would? Do you think that cars should be got rid of eventually, or do you see that they will occupy a place? You know, yeah. however, their power is separate. But do you think that they occupy a place? There will always for, be people who need people. cars yeah. for whatever reason. There will. Be, I don't think public transport will serve every journey outside of urban areas, especially. Um, and there will always be a need for cars, which is a lot less cars than what we have now, and, and how they're used. I suppose essentially. So, so Lauren, you know, how, tell us about your your involvement here. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I like to answer that last question um, in a personal capacity and probably more truthfully. 
<laughs> then uh, Felgen just answered it. Um, like I personally have been on this journey with cars, I feel like my whole life. And my earliest memories really are of my mum driving me to school, stressed out, being like, all I do is drive you kids in circles. All I do is drive you kids in circles. And, um, you know, when I got, I was like one of the first people in my class to get my provisional license. And it was this moment of like independence for me. And my mum was able to go back to work and I was able to drive my little brother around. And um, yeah, I was, you know, I really like I liked car ownership. And then as a student, I did an exchange program at UC Davis, which is a college that was very much built around the bicycle. And the chancellor in the 80s just happened to do a trip to Amsterdam, saw how they were the changes that they were making um, throughout the Netherlands to make the bike the dominant mode of transport and to give children freedom. Um and he kind of implemented that in Davis. And, you know, I showed up in Davis as a 20-year-old, um, couldn't really afford to get a car while I was there, got a bike for the first time since I was nine or 10, cycling around my cul-de-sac. And I remember cycling from my, my flat to the university on the first day and just like having this huge smile on my face and feeling like actually quite silly and just overjoyed to be like moving around this way. And um, you know, that year of my life was just transformative and how I understood what cars do to people, what cars do to communities. And, um, you know, I ended up staying there for about seven years and then moved back to Ireland in 2015. I lived in very rural Galway and, you know, was in a position then where I had to own a car again. I had to, I had to actually do all of my, 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 I had to do my driver theory test again. I had to do 12 lessons because my, my license was, had been lapsed for five years um, so really had to relearn how to use a car again and then was, you know, driving to NUIG, spending, you know, a couple hours a day in a car and just being like, this is so miserable. And it's, you know, I just cannot understand how a city like Galway, which is, you know, so small, so compact, where there's, there was no space for cycling. And then, you know, moved up to Dublin um, right around when Bus Connects, when the plans were starting to happen and saw it as a real opportunity to, um, you know, they were doing a public consultation I got together with my neighbors and, you know, we were looking at the plans and a lot of it for French core in particular was road widening and we would lose our beautiful, mature tree canopy. And I think I like I spoke, um, I spoke to my neighbors and and, you know, I had my my six month old in my lap as I was talking to talking to them being like, you know, I, I don't want to end up like my mom. I don't want to be like driving this kid around in circles every day. I want her to be able to walk across the road to school. I don't want to feel like I'm living on the edge of a cliff. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to make a mistake and leave a door latched one day and, you know, that's the end. Um, you know, what I saw happening to a place like Inchicore, which was once like the seat of public transport in Ireland, you know, it's where we, you know, we built these locomotives and, and you know, we, we built the trams and, um, you know, thousands of people cycled there to work every day. And, you know, now it's just a big yellow box with nine lanes of traffic and people cycling on the footpaths, which are too narrow to even walk on. And, um, you know, we got some really good changes made to that plan and we got a lane of traffic moved out, taken out of it, and it's going to be a one-way system. I mean, it's still imperfect. Um, there's still, you know, lots, lots more that I would like to see happening. Um, but that feeling of like, you can influence major infrastructural projects just as a person speaking truthfully and honestly about the way that we're living and because so much of car culture is invisible to people um sorry you know, what do you mean by that that is invisible to people just curious. like um you know people 
people expect when they when they walk when you know when when they leave their homes to like go to a junction and stand there for two or three minutes sometimes while a car is just whiz by and don't think that there's something wrong about that or that a choice has been made about you know their time and their importance um how, or, how, how do you think we've got to the point that we are how, how has that happened um, through reactive fixes to local congestion. So what I mean by that is, you know, there's kind of three types of traffic, right? There's local trips, there's commuter trips, which are longer going through a place, and then there's service trips. And congestion happens when all those three trips happen by the same mode of transport at the same time. And, you know, uh, a, a planner will look at a place like Inchicore and be like, oh, you know, there's, there's a whole queue of cars, you know, going through that place we should add it we should add a left turning lane to like you know get those people through quicker and clear that traffic and you know we should make the 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 wait time for the pedestrian longer get more of those cars through um and what what happens then is that it becomes more dangerous and less attractive to do those short local trips by walking and cycling um so then the people who are living locally end up driving for very short periods um, for short trips, which, you know, a generation ago would have been unthinkable. Yeah. And, and it becomes this, this cycle of car dependency induced demand where, you know, people feel like, oh, you know, like there's no, there's no value to me taking the bus because it's going to be stuck behind a load of cars anyway, so I might as well drive. Um, and yeah, it's this vicious circle and, you know, the, you know, a project like Bus Connects and then an advocacy group like Dublin Commuter Coalition was finally a way for people who have really borne the brunt of car dependency and have externalized the costs of it. It's finally a way for us to say, like, this isn't right. We shouldn't be doing it this way anymore. Um, and we want, to, we want to do things differently. What do you see currently as being the obstacles to your aims? What's in the way currently? resources <laughs> resources at a national level to kind of implement a lot of the projects that we support um, there's definitely political um, opposition to a lot of what we want to see like a lot of politicians would support our goals and then when it comes to the kind of implementation of it whatever measures are required to get there immediately say oh well not quite that way not quite now not just yet um, so you know, supporting the bigger goals, but the but then opposing the kind of smaller measures that are needed to get there, would be a big obstacle. Because look, the, at the end of the day, the climate targets—they're not there for the crack. We have to meet them, mm. and everyone acknowledges that. And there's huge fines if we don't. So I, I don't think anyone is, or anyone should certainly logically be saying, "Okay, let's get in the way of that." So we all have to get there, no matter who you represent or what you do, whether you drive, cycle or whatever it is. Everyone has to get there. So what is it that's holding up progress in, in government, for example? Like the Green Party have to be commended on the work that they've done on the first part of their tenure in terms of implementing sometimes unpopular views. But what is, where is the, what's holding it up? And, and who are those people, who are those factions that are saying, Oh, no, we don't want that. So if you look at the memo that was supposed to be brought to Cabinet last week, that was kicked down the road, delayed, not quite cancelled, but um, 
So it would had a lot of um, restrictions for cars to reduce car usage in cities and across Ireland. But there was large opposition to that within government from government TDs. Now, we don't support everything that was in it, but, you know, we, a lot of it was just options. But yeah, the it, fact was, that it, it was, was, it was look, exploring options. But yeah. again, as, OK, where allegedly on the car side from this day well we obviously you know we're the automobile association but who thinks cars in the city centre are a good idea lots of people including lots of businesses unfortunately and and it goes back to that whole the car the car dependency piece and and um i saw a term for it recently auto normativity or car brain so this is where you know just people um because we've been living in a culture for so long you know since the 50s and 60s that's really really pushed the, you know, everyone drive a car and we're going to subsidize car parks. And we're going to build these big roads. You know, we've embedded into our culture car use and car dependency it, it, to the point where, you know, people don't believe even even though, you know, they'll they might see something like Dunleary or Blackrock where they've, you know, built new cycle paths and the businesses there will say, oh, you know, I was against in the beginning, but now it's like it's been really positive for us. People in a neighboring town will be like, oh, well, that works in Dunleary, but it wouldn't work here. Or, or, you know, like that's actually something that we see. Or in Salt Hill and Galway, you know, they were using the coastal mobility route in Dunleary. as like, oh, they did it there. It was really successful. This is something we could do here in Galway. And again, Galway businesses were like, oh, that would never work here. Um, And before it was always like um, we'd be talking about examples in the Netherlands or in Copenhagen. And again, people would be like, oh, you know, of course it works for them, but it would never work here. Um, So there's like this... This behavior change is really difficult. And I believe um, Mike Bannum, who who was a master's in sustainable transport, he did his thesis on um, the impact of bringing kind of people working in local authorities on cycle study tours in the Netherlands. And, you know, he, he it, like in terms of a, the value of that cost, it was kind of incomparable it was like one of the best ways to convince people that this was the right thing to do was like bringing them and having them experience and similar to my own experience of being a student and going and experiencing it um once and once you see it work like it's and you come back to dublin you look and you actually look at dublin um you just see all of that space given over to cars you can't you can't unsee it and and become something that like really upsets you you know (laughs) to the point where it becomes hard even to communicate it to people because you're just like, my God, how can you not see what we've we've given over, like what we've lost in our city? Um, the the argument that's put forward by many motors is, look, we pay extraordinarily high vehicle registration tax, extraordinarily high annual motor tax. Our fuel is very expensive. Why should we have to pay any more? That's the argument, not necessarily our, our argument. How do you counteract that? that point because we are you know if, if certainly the purchase price and compared to other countries actually acquiring that car in the first place costs an awful lot of money running that car costs a lot of money how would you counteract that argument of well we're already paying through the nose and now you want us to pay more just to have this car yeah with great difficulty you know it's, it is a hard it's a hard thing to say to someone um and even i mean one way that advocates sometimes do it is to look at what is the overall cost of running a car and um and and for the state to provide that infrastructure because what individual motorists are paying is not covering the cost of of car infrastructure um it's being paid for by 
you know, people who public who, private who partnerships are, for yeah, but but and, but also but people who aren't who aren't driving are are paying for your the privilege that you have to drive. Um, that's the, the situation that we're in, and I don't I don't know if we can bring everyone over or you know I think some of it is is going and that's why it's so politically difficult because it's it's very hard to convince people there was a really good study by I think it was TU Delft a couple of years ago that looked at all the costs of motoring the kind of social costs that like um, road policing and crashes and how much that costs everything I don't think it even looked at pollution or the carbon carbon uh, dioxide and what to do about that and the cost of that um, but like it, I think it was like three and a half billion per annum in Ireland was the cost so like the cost that you don't really think about all of that not not even just look at the road maintenance everything else so like there is a big cost in providing that which has kind of been like uh, Lauren said you know auto-normativity or whatever it was that we just don't, you know, that we just kind of don't think about because we've kind of just accepted that one of the reports that is used you know to make a lot of policies is the the household trans, uh, public transport survey mm-hmm. and when you see and you read through it you'll see that young people use public transport well sorry very young people jump into their parents cars and get lifts as they become a little bit older they get independence they start using buses and trains older people use public transport but it's that section in between 25 to 45 that don't for various reasons they've kids whatever um how you know firstly how do you address how do you take care of those people because we know in dublin certainly car use is way less than in rural areas i know it's two separate things and i don't know whether your group necessarily and i'm not going to say you don't care about the rural area it's not your area of focus you know, there is that rural and, and urban divide. People in, you know, we spoke to a journalist from Cork this morning and, and they're saying that they feel that, you know, there's a conversation going on in Dublin about getting more people into public transport, whereas they're going, yeah, we'd love to, to do it. You know, please give us some to, 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 to jump into. So how do you, certainly for, for the region that you take care of and you, the people you represent, maybe, how do you get more of the, that age group to try public transport? With better public transport, so that we've been um, making a lot of headways in that, I think, in the last year or two with um, more local link services. Connecting Ireland is a plan that was launched last year to improve more local services across the country. Kind of, It's like Bus Connects for basically the national network, just kind of rationalising a lot of the bus routes that are cross-country, more local services. And a lot of it has been implemented. Wicklow has seen some results and... Um, I think Claire's um, has seen some results. I actually use some of it. Um, I try to go hiking by public transport sometimes. It's quite difficult, but it's gotten quite a lot better in the last year. So there's a new bus route, I think it's the 183, uh, that goes from Nace to Wicklow through the through the Wicklow Mountains, through Glendalock, right. which kind of lets me to go to Nace and then get that bus into Glendalock or go to, I think, Rathrum and then get that bus uh, back out that way. So, like, we're seeing some improvements, but... More of that has to be replicated across Ireland um, every couple of months or so. Basically, we'll have a new phase of that in different counties. So it's getting better, but like fully accept that it's, it just isn't there for a lot of people. And I think this is... Sorry. Right. Yeah, um, I would also say that it's much easier for the bicycle to compete with the car than public transport. Okay. So um, but, uh, from from the point of view of like... For a family use or like for me traveling with my daughter 
Um, you know, I can walk out the door, put her on the back of my bike and, you know, get to exactly where we're going. And usually at the, with, in the same amount of time it will take to, for a car to do that journey. Um, public transport, you know, there's always going to be that last mile problem. So getting from my house to a bus stop, how long will I be at the bus stop? Is there somewhere to sit? Is it sheltered? Um, and then, you know, how far is the bus going to take me to my route? And then am I walking with her? Does she have a scooter? Does she get tired? Um, so those are all problems that, you know, a car solves because you just put them in when you get in and then you arrive at the, the destination. Um, but a bike can do that. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, I think I think it's probably a lot easier to get families onto bikes in a lot of cases than it would be to get them onto public transport. It's funny because uh, you know a lot before we had this discussion about you know free trial of public transport. And we'll get into that. I was sitting there on a Saturday morning outside a shop in the car, uh, thinking you know how could we get onto public transport? And I have four children from eleven to seventeen, and on that day there were four of them were going to four different sports. And you're kind of going, you know, what in a utopian situation would allow you to do that? I can't, I, I don't know the answer. But uh, what, bikes. Yeah. <laughs> like, would you let your 17-year-old yeah. cycle? If so. you had a, a, a network of safe cycle lanes where you live, where your kids can get themselves to their, you know, their, their, their clubs. Oh, a network. You know? Yeah. 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 I, I find but cycling, it'd be very hard yeah. to have a, a public transport network that could provide that. Oh, right? and so cycling. So cycling. In, in, yeah, for for families, I think is often. But where we live, like yeah. like, whoa, I mean, cycling around um, Mornington, Drogheda area, absolutely terrifying. I, like I find cycling in Dublin city centre. Uh, you know, what we would do sometimes is I get the Matthews bus to the end of O'Connor Street and then take a Dublin bike to here. I cycling here, I find absolutely terrifying mm-hmm. in Dublin city centre. It's horrendous. Mm-hmm. And, and you know how people do it every day, I don't know. And like my hat is tipped to them because it's terrifying. Um, so, look, one of the reasons we asked you here in the first place, we had some interactivity on Twitter. Twitter can be an interesting place. It's, <laughs> it's, always, it's yeah. always nicer to sit and talk to people. So, but one of the reasons we did ask, and naively or not, we asked and we posed the question, could we trial public transport free for a period that, that got lost in translation somewhere along the lines that we were calling for free public transport some people thought we were being disingenuous the, the reason was can we change behaviour in the short term we know that public transport is rapidly getting better but it's you know it's going to be a little bit away and we know that we need to get people to change firstly was our in your view was our uh, suggestion a silly one or, or didn't didn't have enough behind it I don't mind what you say <laughs> I think it's a very very complex uh, suggestion so like you said it did get lost in translation yeah. um, it became uh, that the AA was proposing free public transport for everyone at all times overnight uh, uh, but how would you f- in theory how would you feel about that I keep saying this um, I fully support free public transport and I can talk about the reasons why uh, I don't believe that free public transport will reduce car usage much. It will reduce it by some. And I think the NTA report that was published mm. uh, kind of said 1%. We can argue over 1% or 2 or 3 But like, I don't think free public transport is a measure that will reduce car usage or uh, carbon emissions in transport. But I think it has way 
better reasons, societal reasons to do it. Mm. So I recently talked about uh, my mom and dad, who my dad has free public transport uh, uh, because he's uh, 70, 68. <laughs> um, so he now goes um, on trips to, say, Galway to see my cousin. Uh, they went to Kerry. Um, so they have the freedom to do that now. And they love it. But that is that didn't replace a car trip, so they wouldn't have they they didn't want to drive five six hours a day, so they wouldn't have done that before. So it's a case of they it's not that they would have driven in a car five years previously. It's just that they wouldn't have gone exactly. Okay. So so this is this is what Eamon Ryan or the parliamentary question that was published famously called unnecessary trips. I don't like that word unnecessary trip. Mm. I but again, possibly something that got lost in translation. Yeah, it's, it, so when you talk it about unnecessary trips, yeah, I know what I know what they're talking about. The academics know what they're talking about. The minister knows what they're talking about. But that's not a word you ever use in public, calling people's trips unnecessary. Little bit big brother, right? It, it, yeah. So it's uh, it's like Lauren. Sorry, where where are you on the on? And we'll get away from that in a second. But where are you on the free public transport in total argument? Where there's capacity, I would like to see trials. And like something Feld and I have been working on for what maybe the last six months is, um, you know, bus connects and um, like the the G spine was recently introduced where I live, and um, you know there just isn't capacity on that at peak times at all. <laughs> so, um, so as the, the point being that if we if that was to happen, that it would have a negative effect because people would go, oh look, public transport's rubbish. Yeah, so, they'd be showing up at bus stops and the bus would go by them because okay. they're full. Um, so, I mean, again, look, we, we can suggest mm-hmm. all we like. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So it's, it's, no, but I think like, but, you know, um, various initiatives to do, like I loved the NTA did the the plus one for Bridget's Day mm. weekend. So, you know, bring bring someone like along and you can tag them on your leap card. Stuff like that is great for um you know, where the like the barriers to public transport isn't just cost and frequency and availability and all of that. A lot of it is just like people have no, like haven't used it before. And um, like which, my dad, which you know, is, like, which, is a, which is our point. It's, yeah. it's if we, yeah. you know, we're in South Wales so, Street yeah, here. Where there's a bank holiday weekend, you know, would love to have public, free public transport for those or, you know, trips during the day to kind of. Um, Even a day, if there was one day yeah. that we said car free. Oh, what, oh, car, yeah. But why that. not if we yeah. look? Example, we're you know we're spitballing during a podcast. But if we were, <laughs> if we were, if we had a, a car-free day again, mm-hmm. well, if people don't have to do it, is it going to work? Mm-hmm. But do you need to make it free then to to incentivize it? I think like, we can name all the car-free days in the world. But if you don't have to do it, people will go. Oh, my car's outside. It's raining. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I suppose, no, yeah. like I think we should uh, approach it the way the Dublin City Council approaches like marathons. Like I love the Dublin Marathon. Mm. That one day of the year we can walk around the city like no cars. You can like hear people. Yeah, St Patrick's Day too. Um, but we, what's wrong? So, like, once, like, yeah, I, every Sunday. Like, why not? Yeah, so, well, I suppose... Well, so, from yeah. our point of view. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Dublin hasn't really done a car-free day properly in a long, long time. I think the last time we did it was, like, 2010 or something, where they did one street around Marion Square, and it wasn't done properly. So, yeah, I'd love to see car-free Sundays and stuff like that. And then, you know, but I get, with I guess that... From, from our point of view, and... 
do you understand the logic of where we were going with that? I do. I now. do now. Yes. <laughs> More so than I did last week when it kind of really just got uh, mixed up with a lot of other people's opinions and a lot of other people's proposals. A lot of politicians had their own proposals for it. And it all the media narrative was very much just all mixed into. As someone who loves cars, I, love, I particularly love all cars, but I don't want to drive them in traffic. I don't want to drive them into the city centre for an hour and a half each way. I think it's bloody stupid to be on my own in the car with three empty spaces. So I don't see any issue with places that are very congested not having cars in them. Because, you know, if the, if there's a safe way for my daughter to get home at night time that she's going to feel safe on, etc. If there's a safe way for people to get around if there's a safe place to cycle because as we've mentioned cycling can be pretty bloody terrifying Mm -hmm. so what will it take and I I guess this was our our logic and this is the question to you guys what will it take to get people who haven't bothered their behinds to try it to give it a go Um, so your proposal there the free public transport for a trial period I think something like that would have a benefit but we really do have to kind of uh talk about when we'd have it so pick the least busiest week in the summer and then pick the weekend or something like that that kind of thing so yeah i take your point because if we tried it you know we thought right first week of september let's see really get to see Mm. people try public transport if the capacity isn't there there's no benefit for anyone for it to fail yeah yeah so that's yeah so that's kind of my biggest worry when you implement it in a busy week but like so this capacity is quite limited um so like i said you know pick a a weekend now weekend schedules are usually quite uh uh, less Mm. frequent than weekday schedules for public transport so pick one weekend make it a full week weekday schedule over the weekend you know put on more services plan ahead so that you have the capacity and then advertise it and then yeah, aim it towards those people who just didn't try it out. Because there's there's often measures brought in and people kind of miss it. Oh, I heard there was a kind of a thing on, this is why, why not flag it well in advance? Okay, in on the September 17th, 18th or whatever you're having yourself, we're not going to drive our cars mm. and we're going to give pre transport. The reason being is that we want people who haven't tried it, like expel out what you want to happen. We want people who haven't tried public transport to give it a go. Mm. And then at the end of that, like we know we had the great exper- societal experiment called COVID-19. Mm. There was a 50% reduction in NOx readings in Dublin. I talked to the Environmental Protection Agency the other day. 50% reduction in NOx. And that's all diesel cars by and large. Pretty much. So, so again, we know that if people are told stay at home, and that was obviously everyone was staying at home, that there will be a reduction. So, if we even under even if we were able to measure during a trial, okay, for two days we know that the emissions went down maybe not fifty percent, but they went down eight percent. Mm-hmm. Then the then the trial has been worth it. Yeah, and I think you just came up with a good slogan for it: give it a go. The give it a go week. But this, where, is, what we, this is what we were... Right, maybe like what, prizes for people who use their leap card the most that week and show that they... But again, this this is what we, this was what we were asking for. Yeah. We we are very au okay. Blake and I, who's very quiet today, by the way, Blake, he's probably, we can't get, a, can't get a word in. Don't interrupt. Um, we, we use public transport all the time. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a car. It doesn't, like, it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, the cars that we try... Or there's someone who needs a car for various reasons. Cars are probably going to exist in all of our lifetimes in some degree. 
how they're used is crucial. What space they take up is crucial. And we and the thing that amazes me about all of these discussions that there's a rich rain vein down the centre that everyone really agrees on. Mm-hmm. And it's that public transport is would be great. It just needs to be a bit more frequent, it needs to be a bit better. And do we really need cars everywhere? Mm-hmm. And I think something about the the tweet that you guys did that you know, kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It was like, oh, you know, we need to do, we need to try public, free public transport before introducing any punitive measures for motorists. And I find that term punitive measures, um, I find that hard to stomach because what cars have done to our society has, you know, but has really hurt us in every imaginable way. Okay, take your you point. Know? Take your point entirely. However, if you, if you're a, 70-year-old woman in Galway and you you just have a car and there's no bus and there's no whatever else that per, when I say punitive when we say punitive it's about increased fuel charges increased you know motor tax it's not that they shouldn't drive in a bus lane so if the person who is on a low income who is using their car and really has to use it is facing you know, news that this is coming down the line and they're going, like, well, I, but I can't use anything else. Mm. Right, but the reason why that person is so dependent on a vehicle is because of decades of lobbying by the car industry to make the that the car the only mode of transport for that person who is living Anyone a very nice at any time can experience an accident which will take away their legal ability to drive. And, um, you know, that can happen to you later in life, it can happen to you earlier in life. And if we've we've set up our society in such a way that people are so dependent on their cars that when they lose access to their cars, it can mean basically, you know, the end of their ability to live independently. But that's uh, that's le- their legacy issues that have brought us to the point now. And we all accept that it's it's the argument is, is that if. But they, those are legacy issues brought about by lobbying from the car industry. We are where we are. So if we are, you, if this. So you can, you can see why it's hard to stomach from a group who's advocating for public transport, for sustainable transport, for walking and cycling, for people to have options. For you then to turn around to us and say that what you need to be able to successfully move around in a healthy way is going to be punishing for our poor motorists. But it, it's the people who are outside of. Dublin, for example, who don't have any options. And we know, everyone knows that right, they so exist. It, so yeah. why, why so give them need- further taxes on uh, without an alternative? That's clear, surely, that's if, obvious. If, if you're advocating for the investment in sustainable transport for those people, then I would 100% agree with you. But um, so what we're saying is we want that brought in when we want you know there if there has to be a situation where there's more taxes more penalties mm-hmm. that if people haven't used the public transport that has been provided for them perfect if like if you look at london congestion charge okay congestion charge was brought in because they have a they already have a, a good well developed public transport network people still continue to use their cars they said okay we're going to do a congestion charge. It worked. No one has any issue with that. I suppose we should say that we would definitely be uh, proposing more kind of car-free zones, bus gates, yeah. uh, more cycle lanes, as opposed to, say, congestion charges, which I feel generally just means that some people can continue to drive while other people have to look for 
other options. Let's have more pedestrian areas. Let's have more areas inside the city centres where nobody can drive, you know. Which is an incredibly sensible idea. Yeah, so, uh, I, yeah, I wouldn't get too caught up on congestion charges right now. <laughs> I think it was one of the proposals that was brought in. Oh, sorry, that was going to be brought to Cabinet. But, like, so when we, I think... But you understand, sorry, that the people hear this. Mm. Uh, you know, it's reported in the media that this is being brought forward. And people are going... Uh, it's cost me a hundred quid to put fuel in my car to bring my kids to school and, and whatever else. And they're talking about this and that's what people see. They see, oh, they're going to add this, this and this, whether it's in five years time or eight years time or whenever. And I can't get a bus. Yeah. So there there are definitely steps uh, between now and whenever congestion charges are brought in, if they're brought in, uh, that will improve public transport. So I suppose maybe I should kind of talk about my vision for public transport sure. and sustainable transport in Dublin for the kind of say the next two three years. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I would do is reallocate space within city centres to buses, walking and cycling. So there's going to be proposals brought in in June July this summer uh, for one of the Pathfinder, Pathfinder projects to reallocate a lot of space within the city centre on the wider roads that are um, along the Keys, along kind of uh, Pierce Street, Tar Street. Uh, bears for place a lot of the wider three four lane roads and reallocating those to cycling public transport and then i think putting in bus gates we haven't seen the proposals yet so they'll they'll come in later this year so so start with that you know reallocate that space uh, towards public transport and that will bring in an immediate improvement in public transport and for safe cycling if we use that space for better cycling structure and, and again so, yeah, well, sorry what it does is it, it makes it and we are in a situation now where mm-hmm. it's being made more difficult to drive around Dublin city centre and there's you know it's pretty obvious and that's if that's the policy that's the policy mm. and it will come to a point where people will go oh, why would I even dream of taking my car into the city centre and that if that's the way it is that's the way it is and you know will we get to a point where cars aren't introduced at all maybe so but mm. so so that's what that's one yeah, phase okay. and the other one is to drastically improve public transport uh, quick measures like Bus Connects, the new Bus Connects network will mean, I think, 30-odd percent more services for everyone in the Dublin area. So, like, that's... It, the new Bus Connects network requires a lot more drivers and a lot more buses than what we had, say, two, three years ago. That will bring a lot more services to people. So we need to implement that as quickly as possible. The truth is, it's been stalled. It's been slowed down because of driver shortages, because of um, resources within the NTA. Kind of the really technical things that nobody wants to talk about that has slowed down the delivery of better public transport to a lot of people within Dublin, uh, Wicklow, Kildare, uh, Meath. So we need to focus on that. We need to make sure that that is delivered as quickly as possible while you're doing the kind of restrictions and reallocating space within the city centre, which will improve public transport um, journey times and make it safer for cycle you're delivering better bus um, trips every single bus connects phase so far except the first one has included a 24-hour bus for um, a lot of areas around dublin so i'm still waiting for mine i'd love to have it that would mean i would never have to use a taxi ever again so uh, a lot of that would be done in the next two three years so that would make it a lot more better for people who live in the kind of commuter area of dublin to get into Dublin. So that's your kind of reallocating road space, improving your kind of short-term implementable public transport improvements. It takes a long time to build trains, but then speed up, prioritise things like Dart Plus and Metrolink and Lewis Finglas and all of that that's in 
that is taking ages to go through the planning system, the design system. I read, we read a lovely interview with you in the Business Post, which yes. had said that you had got a leaflet through your door in Fisher in, what, 2006? Yes. Uh, yeah. And you're still waiting. 2006, <laughs> when the uh, NTA or TII, was it? Uh, the Railway Procurement Agency at the time sent me a leaflet to a little boy in Fitzborough. They had no idea what they created. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say a crazy monster, but you're from <laughs> Lauren, just on, on that point, is there, a, is there a benefit of just pulling the plaster off in terms of Dublin City and saying, OK, look, this zone here, you're not coming yeah. in in a car? Yeah, I would love that. Um, well, I mean, what's the... It was obviously is you know from a political point of view is there a pressure that would make that unpopular because logistically we can see like how seem logically if you were able to walk out here down Three College Green to O'Connell Street without dodging mm-hmm. a dodging a car mm-hmm. that starts small sorry yeah um, you know I often think about the 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 area of Oslo that they have as a car free zone or a car light zone. Um, if we were to implement it in Dublin, it could run from, you know, Parnell Square in, on the north side of the city to Stephen's Green on the south side, from Trinity College up to kind of Christchurch. Um, and that would all just be walking, cycling and public, trans- public transport. Um, who, what are the... Sorry, no, sorry, who objects to this? Or- car park owners. So we're on South William Street right now. We saw how... You know, we can't even get this one street properly pedestrianised because the Brown Thomas car park, you know, the SUVs need to be able to go in and out. Um, yeah, there's a yeah, lot of... there pe- are a lot of interests that would object yeah. to that. But I think most people would... I think it would be hugely popular. Yeah. Well, is it one of those things? You know, that, it's like, like the, giving the city back to the people. It, it, like, it's know? also one area where there are actually very few cars, yeah. but they the number of cars that are there do actually can very much slow down public transport. Uh, in that area so like there were proposals to I don't know if you remember when Lewis Cross City was being uh, implemented in 2017 there was proposals to put in a bus gate from uh, Bachelors Walk to Eden Quay so buses wouldn't so early buses would be able to go from Bachelors Walk to Eden Quay on the north side uh, so crossing that Lewis uh, track and that was shot down by a lot of uh, business interests uh, a lot of car parking owners uh, kind of opposed to that and now we still have cars going across O'Connell Bridge then where Lewis Cross City is and that slowed down trams when it was implemented there was trams getting stuck at that bridge because and uh, there were taxis and cars in that yellow box so you know every time we have proposed something like that it was shot down but I think we're in a better place now than we were in 2016-2017 to propose things like that mm-hmm. so like Lauren said let's take a small area in the very city centre where there are actually very few cars but they do cause a problem and m- most people would wouldn't drive into that area. My dad would never drive to uh, College Green. Never, wouldn't even dream of it. So it's baffling, even. At yeah. Times <laughs> yeah. So let's country. let's take an area like that, like Lauren said, and let's mm-hmm. let's implement something like that. But is it one of these things like the plastic bag tax we had years ago and the smoking ban? Is it just it just needs to be either black or white? Because I think does it fall into difficulty when there's grey areas in between? So either in this zone here, you're not driving in. That's the end of it. Or, because if it's patchy and if there's parts you can drive in, does it get messy then? Yeah, I think I think a good way to think about it would be, like, think about Trinity College. Like, there are cars in Trinity College. You can access it, but cars aren't driving through Front Arch and they're not parking on the cricket pitch. Mm. Um, it's a very regulated space for cars and they have their place. And similarly, that's how we have to think about the city centre. It shouldn't be a place you drive through 
to go to somewhere else. Like this is this is this is our capital. This is you know this is where people live. It's where people play and work and fall in love and do all the great things that you should do in a city. And to treat it just like you know a, a wasteland for for cars. <laughs> Can I just add, uh, Trinity College had, uh, I think Healthy Trinity published their modal share for Trinity College uh, a couple of years ago. 99% buses, walking, cycling, tram, rail, 1% cars. And those people are coming from far and wide. It, like that's, that's how many people actually drive into those small areas. But obviously there are a large number of cars there when you look at it. And they're you know, causing huge issues. But most people who kind of work in that area or go there regularly are getting there by bus and by walking, cycling, tram, a combination of all of them. And it's a great place to just go and be and sit. And like I often bring my daughter in there to just so she can like run around and, you know, can can walk without having to worry about being hit by a car. It's like there's very few places in Dublin where you can do that. And that are also interesting. Like, of course, we have parks and playgrounds, but like I want to feel like I'm in a city and you can people watch and you can encounter things and it's interesting um and so yeah like having I think Trinity College is a really good example for people who are trying to wrap their head around what we're suggesting like yeah like go go to Trinity you know you can hear people talking to each other you'll see that there are still cars and they can they can come in and out but it's still it's functioning really really well um and that's how we need to think start thinking about our local our local places, our towns and our cities, um, not just in Dublin, like all around the country, especially places where we're, you know, we're spending multi-millions on bypasses. And then you can still drive through the center of the town. It makes no sense. And we're not maximizing the value of like doing that bypass. So a, a couple of questions, I suppose, from what we talked about in terms of behavioral change, what can we all do? A, to do our bit in the short term. Because, uh, look, we, we, you know, we can look at the plans and we know the plans are coming, but what can we do today, tomorrow, next week to alter people's thought process a little bit on uh, other forms? I won't keep saying public transport because there's lots of there's walking, there's cycling. What can we do practically to encourage people to try alternatives? Yeah, it's, it's, I think you need the modal shift. I think you need you need to kind of reallocate space to make people think differently. Um, if you're you know, sitting in traffic and there is a wide segregated cycle path to your left and people just whizzing past you, that's one of the biggest uh, reasons for people changing from cars to bicycles. They need to see that. I, I sometimes park in the park and ride at Santry Church. Just at, 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 oh yeah, at Whitehall. And, yeah. At Whitehall. And I have often got off the 16 bus early mm-hmm. to a butcher in Drum I really like. And I sometimes will pick a car to my left and I'll walk <laughs> all the way up to Santry Church and I'm ahead of the car. Mm-hmm. So there's a logical, you know, lo- applying logic to this, driving into the city centre doesn't make any sense. Um. I remember, re- I remember reading a study about how really the only thing that will stop people from driving somewhere is if they know they can't park there. Like people are actually like very happy to sit in like, traffic for hours and, you know, they have the AC on and radio on and probably looking at their phone. Um, but if they know they have nowhere to park at the end, that will that will change how they take that journey. And like I like you'll probably know, like see that. Mm. And, That's um, probably you know, why Trinity going. is yeah. 99% because, the same with transport. Yeah, there's nowhere to park space. when you get there. And like mm. UCD has tons of parking. Loads yeah. of DCU has loads of parking. There's a multi-story yeah. car park and I think, was it 30% of people driving mm. to DCU? Mm-hmm. I think. That's across staff and students or 25, something like that. 
it's pretty high. So, uh, so removing parking. So removing parking, and then obviously. You know, if it's it's more so, and this is the bit that that I'm certainly interested in, is the 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 way to get people to give it a go, and yeah. and that's the part that I struggle with. Yeah, in but that people won't unless choices are made about how we're using mm. public space. But again, does it go back to? I think the- I think if if what if people want to help shift the dial on this, like I think the most important thing is how you vote and how you talk to your representatives, like the single most important thing, because so much of what they hear is um, people contacting them about, oh, you know, parking, traffic, uh, potholes, um, you know, uh, they they seem, people seem to think like that's when you contact your counsellors or like around these issues and they don't know like, oh, I should be contacting them to be like, oh, like, how can I get that traffic light changed so I don't have to stand there in the rain for five minutes? Or, you know, how do I get, you know, a safe cycle path in my in my area? Like kind of training people to ask for the right things from their representatives is is really, really important. Talk to us about how if people want to get in touch with you guys, if they want to join, mm-hmm. uh, are there? Do they have to live in Dublin? Do they have? Can they, can people join from nationwide? How do they get in touch with you guys? They can live wherever they want. Uh, Dublin Commuters on IE is our website. Dublin Commuters on Twitter. Uh, info at Dublin Commuters on IE. <laughs> Loads of ways to get in touch. Um, yeah, so we have a membership um, structure uh, if you want to kind of support uh, the stuff we do, but. Just yeah, follow us on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Do you have any events coming up this year or anything? I'm actually planning something in May, uh, kind of like a little mini symposium with um, panel discussions and uh, hopefully Q and A um, with the minister the for minister transport. Hopefully, <laughs> 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 Belgian will grill him. Uh, I think it'll be someone else now, but um, yeah. So we're kind of planning like a little half day symposium in May. We yeah. So we started off in 2018 where there weren't. By the time it was 2019, by the time we were kind of formalised, then 2020 happened. We had no events at all. So we're kind of building that back up. Thousand, <laughs> Lauren, thanks for joining us. Thank you so Thank much. You. Wow, I'm pretty uh, exhausted after that one. It was it was great to have the guys in. I mean, look, there's lots of forward and back on Twitter and all of these sorts of things, and people tend not to sit down and have a discussion enough. And especially if you get round a table. And it's it was interesting for me anyway to look at firstly how our intentions were misinterpreted. So they went off with a view of all oh, these guys are A asking for free transport all the time and B that, you know, there was a sinister motivation to it. And interesting as well, I thought, to see where the vein of commonality goes along the centre of it. Yeah, I think both parties were were quite surprised with it. Um, You know, the way that it started off on on Twitter wasn't particularly pleasant, so it was great to get them in. And it's amazing how much that we all agreed. I mean, nobody thinks that cars should be allowed to barrel down bus lanes, that they should be able to drive on paths, that you should be able to drive at 100 kilometres down the canal in Dublin or... You know, uh, like we, we, we agreed on, on so much. We agreed that we have to switch the way we're, we're using cars. So was, was, sorry, but I could just cut across you. What was interesting about for me on that was they had seen our use of the word penalties as asking people not to drive in bus lanes. Whereas that's not a, you know, a penalty or a punishment in our view. Yeah, that's. The rules. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and, and it's amazing once you get people in a room together and you, you talk and you spend a little bit of time going through it that you realise oh we actually don't disagree here. There's there's a lot of commonality. So no, no they issue. had the perception that we were saying 
pe- motorists shouldn't be penalised thinking that we meant they should be allowed to plough down the bus lane or, or speed or, or not have these restrictions, you know. And we say, no, when we say penalise or penalties, what we're referring to is people spending four times what they would have previously on parking charges. These kind of, uh, yeah, I suppose penalties, but just when you think about penalties, uh, that can mean a lot. Because, you know, rules are rules. We, no one should drink drive. No one should drive in a bus lane when it's when you're not allowed. No one should park illegally. No one should use a mobile phone in their hand. These are the rules of the road. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is, are the people who are outside of Dublin who are reading in the Business Post or other newspapers the prospect of higher taxes, more increases on fuel, parking, etc., when they're going, I can't even get a bus to work. So that's the difference. And I hope by the end of that conversation that that was clear. I don't know about you, there'll always be differences. But I think, and I don't know if you agree, Blake, I think that the car can exist with public transport and lots of other modalities in order that we A, reach our climate targets and B, you know, have a nicer experience. Yeah, and, and you put this to, because we spoke to a few other people in the run-up to this podcast and, and you uh, had a few conversations on the phone that day. And even people who were very, very ardent cyclists um, want to see car use massively dropped. Every one of them accepted and and. But even further, we've said that there will be cars around. Some people will need cars. We're never going to completely get rid of them. So it's just a, a question of finding that, that space in the middle where they can coexist. And, you know, there's definitely a point that we need segregated cycle lanes. We need to make it safe. Uh, we need to provide the people with the resources that they need to take those other forms of transport. And, you know, Paddy, you, you and I both have kids and we both don't want to see three-ton SUVs driving past the school gates at 80 kilometres an hour. You know, we all, every single person in the country agrees on that, you know. Yeah, and so we also... Like finding the common area. We also would love to live in a place where you could walk safely or cycle safely, but unfortunately, that's not the case more often than not. So, you know, I think what's the takeaway for me out of this, and I think probably you as well, is that there's no point any of the factions slagging each other off online or on a keyboard or flinging insults at each other when the real work can be done sitting around a table and actually finding out what are the commonalities. Maybe the AA and and we, us in, in, in as spokespeople for the company were naive with our suggestion of a free public transport trial in September. But maybe there's an alternative. Maybe there's a car-free day that everyone signs up to that then that day it's it's free, be it in July or another day, to get more people to try it. The, the, the aim of this was to get more people to give it a go. So let's see whether that well, that might happen at some stage. Yeah, and, and uh, on top of that as well, in that conversation that we had, Kelgen was proposing some interesting things whereby, well, because it was talk of punitive, and this is what can put people off, well, can get people's backs up. They can create uh, a lot of animosity towards the idea that we might create modal shifts. But he was saying that we, we you don't necessarily need to penalise motors. What we can do is you take like the zero. I, I drove out to pick collect a, a car, and at one stage coming out past UCD, and the road was was seven lanes wide in one place. And he's saying, well, can we get away with six lanes wide and give that extra lane over to cycling, which is segregated? So that's not punishing a driver. It might make them potentially a little bit slower through that particular junction. But at that stage, no. No one's been punished and someone who wants to or can cycle or is able to cycle can do that safely. Well, what impressed me about the guys as well was that you that you don't often see or hear in these arguments or, or discussions was rationality. 
it, it wasn't oh everyone who drives a car should be burnt to the stake and all everyone should you know take have their car taken off them. There was an acknowledgement that look for now anyway. Uh, and for, you know, uh, probably all in our lifetime, cars are going to exist, be the EVs or hydrogen or whatever else. But maybe let's look at the space that they occupy and also how we use them. And I think, you know, that's pretty rational. It is, absolutely. And I think if we could get a lot more conversations like like we had um it would be quite progressive and, and instead of people shouting at each other on, on, on Twitter, get people in room, talk like this, come up with suggestions. Like the and we've talked about this before in, in terms of the electrification of transport, for example. Perfection is the enemy of productivity. Yeah. If we wait for the perfect solution, nothing will happen and nothing will change. So let's go right, what's the low hanging fruit? Let's do that one straight away, no question about it, and, and just keep going that way. And something that was mentioned in the conversation with Daniel Murray as well was the fact that the Greens have done a really good job in their tenure so far in progressing public transport in particular, but often it just gets lost in terms of some controversies that people will focus on, be it you know increased taxation or otherwise. Yeah, they've done far more than, than we've seen over the previous decades. But anyway, that is enough from us today. We uh, want to thank all the guests for coming in and speaking to us and, and just getting involved in the conversation. That really was, it was a pleasure to have them in. That's it for this week. Stay tuned. Paddy, thank you very much for joining us. Take care and be safe and see you next time.